Welcome to Oncopharm. I'm your host, John Bazaar. I'm a professor of pharmacy practice here at the supporting sponsor of Oncopharm, ETSU's Bill Gatton College of Pharmacy. It's uh, winding down end of April 2023, and I want to talk about quizartinib, uh, specifically in respect to the Quantum First study, which was published um, a few days ago in The Lancet. Now, quizartinib is a FLT3 inhibitor that has a bit of a checkered past, which is a term I've always wanted to use on the podcast. So quizartinib is a type 2 FLT3 inhibitor. So FLT3 is bad in acute myeloid leukemia, and it's present in a, maybe one in four patients with newly diagnosed, um, um, or did I say myeloma? AML, uh, in about one in four newly diagnosed AML patients. There are, um, we think of them as type 1 and type 2. So type 1 FLT3 inhibitors inhibit both the internal tandem uh, duplication, or ITD, um, mutation, um, as well as the TKD tyrosine kinase domain mutations, uh, whereas uh, and the type 1 inhibitors do so by binding to the ATP binding site of the FLT3 kinase. Um, type 2, which is quizartinib, uh, only inhibit uh, ITD, um, FLT3, and they do so by binding to inactive receptor, which probably explains why it doesn't work for the, um, for the tyrosine kinase domain mutations. Just the internal tandem duplication um, for uh, type 2. Mitostarin, which is the recommended FDA-approved, um, it's in the guidelines as the FLT3 inhibitor to use if you have FLT3 positive disease. Okay, And that's based off the Ratify study published in, in 2019, I believe. Um, several years ago, maybe two thousand, maybe even longer, longer ago than that. Uh, ratify. I'll look that up real quick. Um, but while I do that, I want to point out that um, FLT3. There's more to it than just FLT3 positivity. Right? Yes, two thousand seventeen actually, the Ratify study of Mitostarin. So you have again, is it an ITD mutation or a TKD mutation? Mitostarin works on both. This drug, Quizartinib, only works on the ITD mutation. Now. Quizartinib uh, did not get an FDA approval for relapsed and refractory AML that was previously treated that was FLT3 ITD positive back in 2019, despite a clinical trial showing a statistically significant improvement overall survival. And the FDA approves drugs, as we've commented on the podcast, usually without the stringest, most, uh, you know, the highest quality and quantity of evidence if they think there's a, a clinical benefit, kind of the way you think of it. If there's one patient who could benefit from this drug, uh, they tend to think uh, and go with the approval, it seems. Um, some of the reasons cited for the lack of approval of Quizartib in this relapse refractory setting uh, had to do with some cardiovascular toxicity with regards to QT prolongation. How are we actually going to manage that maybe in the real world? Um, there was some, some imbalance in censoring. So censoring is when a patient is no longer counted moving forward in the study, and you could be censored because you drop out of the study, for example, or you're lost to follow-up. Um, and if you drop out of the study because, let's say, the drug caused side effects or you didn't like it, um, or mitostarin was available, um, for example, um, there could be some imbalances that way. So there were, you know, some, some questions about the, the, also the generalizability of the data based on some subgroup analysis people have critiqued. So Quizartinib did not get this approval for refractory. They actually, they, they, you can find the slides, the, the company put together some new slides where they redid some sensory analysis and sent it back and, 
they did another sensitive analysis. Anyway, Quasart not on the not on the uh, the U.S. market, which leads us to this study, Quantum First, which is Quasartinib plus chemo in newly diagnosed FLT3 ITD internal tandem duplication positive acute myeloleukemia, a randomized double-blinded placebo-controlled phase three study. What could go wrong? We got our nice phase three study. Okay, so we've talked about our our background here. Along the way, I'm going to point out the differences between Quisartinib, which I probably, I would say, is going to get FDA approved based on this, and it's probably going to make the guidelines. We've already mentioned the big difference. Quisartinib is just for ITD. FLT3 wears mitosirens for ITD and TKD. Um, the mitosiren study was with, um, uh, with induction and consolidation for 12 months. Uh, by the way, when are we find out they're FLT3 positive? You know, not the same day you're starting chemo in many cases, uh, at least for us. Um, with quasartinib in this study, they're doing uh, quasartinib for up to three years, okay? What is mitosine was just a month. Now, they enrolled patients from September 16 to August 2019. And I point that out because it's mitostar or it's it's quasartinib plus chemo versus chemo alone. We already know in 2017, which is again after they start enrolling patients, I'll, I'll admit that that mitosarin has a significant overall survival improvement in patients with FLT3 mutated ML, including these folks with internal tandem duplication. Um, so you could argue, one could argue, well, they've already started enrolling patients. It's going to be a headache to change the protocol. Why do that? Because this paper came out in 2017. They started enrolling patients in 2016. Uh, I don't buy it, but I think it's a reasonable argument, except... Except in this paper, they specifically say that they designed the study based off of the results of the Ratify trial. They, they explicitly say this um, in their statistical analysis section, quote, the findings from the Midasar and Ratify study were used in the design of Quantum First. Huh? If you would have used that, you would have had a comparative group that was Midasar in. I don't... I don't understand. Maybe the FDA will say no because it uh, seems crazy, right? Seems, seems. I mean, I know why they're doing it, but it's just, who's enrolling somebody on this study if you have access to Mitostarin, right? If you're a physician and you have somebody who's flipped three ITD and it's, you know, there's a 50-50 chance that you're going to get a drug that doesn't inhibit FLT3, why would you, how is it ethical to enroll somebody on that study, okay? And maybe that's, we'll see that when we look at their baseline demographics, that only like 6% of people in the study were enrolled from North America, okay? Okay, uh, so anyway, they're doing 7 plus 3, Dono 60 or Ida 12 plus Cytarabine uh, 100 to 200. Um, they did have to have a variant allele frequency of at least 3%, so it wasn't any FLT3 ITD. You had to have a variant allele frequency of at least 3%, so that's the uh, the amount of FLT3 ITD divided by the total number of FLT3, which is a, a kinase involved in all of our stem cells, which is why drugs that inhibit FLT3 as off-target toxicities like Sudanib have a little bit uh, of myelosuppression. Okay, so they get their 7 plus 3, you know, they do the standard stuff. The, they, they start Quisartib on day 8 at 40 milligrams or placebo. They do that for two weeks, and then day 21, they're doing their bone marrow, uh, and then another bone marrow if they need to later, um, and then they can reinduce with 7 plus 3 or 5 plus 2 if needed. Pretty standard kind of American practice. And then consolidation is HIDAC, 
uh, high deck 135, three grams per year squared for those under the age of 60, 1.5 for those 60 years or older. Seems pretty good. Um, they are doing uh, Quizart at 40 with high deck. Um, then they go to, um, they do some in the maintenance. They're doing 30 or 60 later after you finish high deck. Um, since it's not FDA approved, I, I don't know all the details of the drug interaction profiles, but they do specifically say if you're on a 3 or 4 inhibitor, you start at a half dose of Quizartinib. So we are going to have drug drug interactions if and when this drug uh, does come to market. Also, quite a bit of QT prolongation with this drug. Also an issue with mitostarin. Um, all right, so I've dinged some of the protocol by not having a control arm that includes mitostarin. Uh, but their primary outcome is overall survival as well as well it should be in an acute myeloid leukemia. When we look at our baseline demographics here, 40% um, of these patients are, are 60 years or older, which um, the majority of AML patients are more than 60, but 40% I think is a, is a reasonable number for a randomized controlled clinical trial that's trying to get regulatory approval. Um, you're going to see you know, a healthier population to study, but we still have a, a decent number of patients here uh, who are over the age of 60 where we know they have a poor prognosis. Um, again, 6% enrolled from North America. Most folks are, uh, are coming from Europe, and then a, a third from Asia or other regions. 50% uh, ECOG-1, a few ECOG-2, 90% uh, de novo AML, only 6% had favorable risk cytogenetics, so most of these folks are intermediate and unfavorable. Um, Makes sense if they're all going to be FLT3 uh, mutated. And I don't know the the all the specifics of this as as a as an AML everyday man, not an a, not an ALDL AML expert, um, about how you could have a FLT3 ITD and still be favorable risk. Um, variant allele frequency of three to twenty five percent was about a third, twenty five to fifty percent half, and the remainder more than fifty percent. And they also tried to find by white count greater than or equal to forty uh, at diagnosis. When we look at our overall survival curves, that tells you, I think, the whole story of this, if, if you're familiar with um, the Ratify study with mitostarin. In, um, if we look at the tail end of the curve, you're going to see a plateau, and um, the, the folks on the Quizartinib study and the placebo study both plateau around the same time, and these curves are parallel from about you know 12 months onward. Uh, and certainly at 24 months is when that plateau really starts to to flatten out. And we see across this time about an absolute long-term improvement overall survival of about 10-11% if you eyeball it, which is very similar to what we saw with mitostarin. So in the long term, it does look like more people are being cured with Cazartinib than those who didn't get placebo. Again, some of those placebo folks could have got mitostarin up front, and then you wonder, um, are these curves superimposed? Okay. Um, now, Famous, somewhat famously, the Ratify study, the median overall survival was, and I'm going to uh, simplify this, 75 months with mitostarin versus 25 with placebo. It's not three, doesn't improve survival by threefold, okay? Uh, you're better to look at a landmark analysis of, let's say, two-year, three-year overall survival. That's where you see that, that magnitude of benefit of absolute improvement about 10%, okay? And that seems to be the same here with this. Median overall survival is 32 versus 15 months. Um, I think the, the, the Katmire curves are very similar if you make that, that caveat cross-trial comparison between this study and Ratify. Different patient demographics uh, were FLT3, uh, all FLT3 uh, in the, the mitostarin study. This is just FLT3 ITD. Um, what I will point out is in the first three to six months, 
the Katmire curves are reversed from what you would expect and that there is actually better survival in the placebo group in the first three months um, of this trial if you are getting placebo. So there's a looks to be inferior overall survival for those first three months with Quisartin, which is going to beg the question, why would that be? And the obvious answer would be toxicity. And if we look in uh, our adverse events, we see that uh, time to neutrophil count recovery of um, 1,000 was 36 days as, um, I believe that's a median, not an average, not really specified in the study uh, or in the table, of 36 days versus 29 days with placebo. So an extra week of like a grade, a grade two neutropenia, uh, or maybe that's uh, grade three of uh, ANC um, greater than 1,000. Um, so an extra week of count recovery with quizartinib. If we look at deaths within 30 days, 6% with quizartinib versus 3% with placebo. Um, they have a caveat here is during induction, 20 patients died in quizartinib, 13 in placebo. So it does seem to be more toxic to get through induction and maybe reinduction if you're on the quizartinib arm. And that there's, there's, a, there's a lot of circumstantial evidence that that might explain that, that crossing of the curves in the first three months where maybe you're better off being on placebo for the first three months than Quisartinib, which is going to make a very easy decision, I think, for some institutions if and when this drug comes to market about adding Quisartinib to inpatient formulary. No, save it for outpatient. Uh, in fact, it may be detrimental to even do it up front. Um, that's my read, uh, my read on this data. Um, the other supporting piece uh, for maybe not including Quisartinib right up front is here are complete response rates. 54.9% versus 55.4%. I'm a simple man. We'll round those both to 55% in either case. So you're not getting to CR any faster. Now, the other big caveat that you have to uh, think about, um, and I've mentioned the, um, uh, the the risk of QT prolongation. I won't go into the details of the monitoring. That'll come out in the PI if and when this is approved. Um, you know, these are all FLT3 positive patients. They're all pretty much non-favorable um, so they're all probably going to want to go to Alice stem cell transplant. I'm not sure you can account for, you know, how many siblings do you have at randomization. And, um, and then the, the, the supplement, they actually have some censoring based on, on patients who went to Allo. Um, but you have to consider the quality of the Allo transplant, um, the, you know, who their donor was, related, unrelated, the matching, all that sort of stuff goes into that, that survival, which is always going to make uh, interpreting AML studies a little bit challenging. Okay, a couple other things. If we look at our subgroup analysis that's in the, the, um, the supplement, again, these are all hypothesis generating. A couple things that, that, that come out to me, more benefit with Quisartib than those that had a white count of a 40 at, at presentation, so a harder, so presumably harder to treat. That hazard ratio was 0.62 if your white count was above 40, below 40.96, pretty close to one. Didn't matter uh, whether you got uh, Dono 60 or Ida 12, no difference there. Um, now, if you look at the, the risk factors here by risk type, those who are favorable risk, now this is very noisy because only 6% of people in the study were, quote, favorable risk. The hazard ratio was 2, um, which would suggest that Quisartin wasn't helpful for those folks. But it's only 6%. Who knows? Maybe, maybe they really weren't flip 3 ITD. Who knows? I don't know. Um, those intermediate 
risk folks. Their hazard ratio was 0.76, which is right around the entire cohort, as that was the, the most common patients in the study, intermediate risk. The unfavorable risk had a hazard ratio of 0.45. So if you look at those who had the unfavorable risk factor, the unfavorable risk category, that hazard ratio was 0.45. And then you look at those with a white count above 40, hazard ratio of 0.62. The sicker and the worse prognosis your AML was, the, the more relative benefit that group of patients had with Quisartin. So there certainly is um, a role here, probably for all folks with FLT3 ITD, but especially those with really high risk patients. Maybe that's because we don't have a comparison versus uh, Quisartin versus Mitosarin. It might be that Mitosarin is, is easier to tolerate, and you do that for folks who um, are kind of average risk FLT3 ITD, but the really high risk FLT3 ITD, maybe there's a favor towards Quisartinib in the eyes of the experts down the road. Uh, we'll see. Now, one thing that you would expect, since they are looking at uh, the variant allele frequency, is the more FLT3 ITD the AML has, the better a FLT3 inhibitor would be. And we do see that here when we look at um, the FLT3 uh, variant allele frequency of less than 25%, but it had to at least be 3% to be on the study. 25 to 50 or more than 50, and I'll go from least amount of, of FLT3 to highest amount of FLT3. There are three categories here. The farther away this number is less than one, the more the effect size. So 0.87 for 3 to 25%, 0.77, not too much different for 25 to 50%, and then 0.53 for those variant allele frequency greater than 50%. So uh, there's a trend there, I think, um, and, and they're, they're doing categories, but perhaps if they did uh, just variant allele frequency and you could do a and test it as a continuous invariable, you would probably see a positive correlation with the greatest amount of FLT3 variant allele frequency, the greatest benefit from Quisartinib. So we are now forewarned what to do if and when this drug um, gets approved or if you're, you're trying to get compassion access for this. Um, what remains unknown, um, if say you have somebody with FLT3 um, tandem duplication kinase, uh, the, or the, not that, the, the tyrosine kinase domain, the TKD mutation, you can do mitostarin. If they have the ITD FLT3 mutation and quisartinib becomes approved, we don't know if you should use quisartinib or mitostarin. No head-to-head -head comparisons. It's just a, a just begging to be studied um, by some folks, but a lot of challenges to doing uh, randomized controlled trials on ML outside the uh, funding apparatus of a sponsored study by a drug company. So that is quantum first. Uh, really got into some AML stuff here. Wow. Um, thank you all for listening. You can follow me on Twitter at FarmDeetNib, and you can follow both the podcast and Twitter, or <laughs> the podcast on both Twitter and Instagram at OncofarmPod. And until I talk to you again, remember, doses matter. Thank you.